Hey, it's Julie Pilot, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Idea Fountain Life-Changing Conversations. Every month, I interview somebody that has changed my life in some way or the way I think. And today, we're catching up with Max Stossel from the Center for Humane Technology. When you think about the last decade and reflect on the last 10 years, before Instagram, before Uber, before streaming everything into your living room, were you happier? Were you less stressed? I'm not sure, but I do know the more time I spend on screens, the more I feel a little bit anxious and isolated. I'm a lot better when I'm connecting with people in person or out in nature. It takes a conscious effort. The Center for Humane Technology believes as technology has increased, humanity has decreased. As a nonprofit organization, they raise awareness for millions of people while advising and mobilizing tech companies, top executives, investors, technologists, and political leaders. What a perfect time of the year to unplug from screens, connect in real life, and think about how you want to spend your time in 2020. Enjoy. I-E-E-A-F-O-U-N-E-A-I-N. This is the Idea Fountain, life-changing conversations. All right, we'll kick it off. It's another episode of the Idea Fountain with a packed house. Thanks, everybody, for coming. All right, yeah. It's pretty awesome. The last few I've done on the road, so I haven't had a bunch of people to the house for a long time, but it feels really good having so many people here. Um, somebody just flew in from New York and said, I think this is an L.A. thing. And um, I don't know if it is, but I love that uh, we get to do it when we have the podcast because I feel like... I'm so lucky every single month to be able to interview somebody that's changed my life in some way. And I'm even more lucky to, you know, fill the house up with a bunch of people I love. Um, so today's guest is Max Stossel from the Center of Humane Technology. And to be fair, Max hasn't officially, officially changed my life. I was going to ask. I know. <laughs> But he was introduced to me by someone who has. Fair uh, I've got to give a shout out to Jesse Israel, who um, is the first person that ever talked me into meditating uh, over seven years ago. I mean, now he's known for the big quiet and doing meditation all over the world. And um, it's pretty awesome. Even before I knew Jesse, I knew his dad, Bob Israel, because he's on the board at a place called home. Um, so he introduced me to Max because, uh, I, I'm just really curious about digital. I mean, I'm a person that I enjoy social media and I also feel like I'm pretty conscious of screen time and balance, but I was finding it hard as a manager at work. You know, I was seeing a disconnection sometimes with my team and not knowing how to manage it. Um, I have a lot of friends who have kids and uh, we were having conversations about screen time and parenting. And even recently, I went to an AI salon and there's a lot of people in the room that were a part of that. And I mean, that's like next level. Like, how are the, we going to make it so the robots don't take over, right? And um, I was lucky enough 
for Jesse to introduce me to Max at the Center for Humane Technology. Um, will you talk a little bit about how you got there and uh, what you do? Yes. Um, I When I was first graduating college, really in college, I was getting my first job, and they were like, hey, you're young, go figure out social media. And so I did, and I was working for a healthcare startup at the time, and they were having a lot of trouble generating leads and making sales, and all of a sudden I was generating these leads over Twitter and over Facebook, and they were like, whoa, what are you doing? How are you doing this? And I thought, ooh, I could be good at something without going to school for it. This is great. Why don't I follow this path? Um, and so, and I did, and I ended up doing social media strategy for, um, initially for Budweiser at an agency called Anomaly. And at the time, it was very easy to get the numbers to skyrocket because Budweiser was putting their press releases out on social media. And they were like, what should we put out here? I found a couple of things really worked at, at getting, like, getting the likes, getting the engagement for Budweiser. And the first thing was putting out ideas that people already believed. People who like to have a drink, have a Budweiser, show a nice sexy picture of a Budweiser, that works well. The other thing that worked well was extreme statements. Budweiser is the greatest beer, did a whole lot better than here's how Budweiser is made. And at the time, like, I thought, eh, whatever, okay. It's what Budweiser's doing, making much of a difference on the world, on social media. But then I started to notice that news organizations were doing the same things that I was doing at Budweiser, of tweaking their headlines to be, like, a little bit more extreme and preaching to their choirs. And I watched all of us, to some extent, changing the very natures of the story that we tell based on what kind of works to get the likes or get the reach on these Facebook or Twitter or Instagram algorithms. Um, and at the time, I actually had fallen in love with uh, startup world, and I knew social media at the time. And so when I left that world, I went in to start the, social, the Instagram for video. This is before Instagram had video. Um, and we were working on a startup, and I realized, we, or essentially investors said to us, if, we can, if you can hold attention for two minutes or longer, you have a valuable company. And so, so many of our decisions went into, okay, how do I grab your attention and hold it? for as long as possible. And we found a couple of things just work. Autoplaying videos holds attention for about 10% longer. Ooh, which notifications do I show you first? Which friends should show higher versus lower in your newsfeed? Um, how many can I send you a day without you turning them off? There's so many decisions going into the other side of the screen about how do we grab and hold your attention? Because that's what the game is, right? If you're not paying for these products, you are not the customer, you are the product. You are the thing being sold inside of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, etc. I, I think that's really important to highlight that. It's funny, uh, Jimmy Ivey always used to say that too. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah, right. It's, it's just true, right? And it doesn't mean it's not bringing us value of some mm -hmm. kind. But what's strange when you get into the AI conversation or the machine learning conversation is that when those goals aren't aligned, that even if, like, of course, the people at Facebook, people at these companies aren't sitting there evil, tw you know, twiddling their thumbs and being like, ha-ha, how do I manipulate today? That's not, like, what they're thinking. But net-net, like, the goal, the bonus is often tied to how do I grab and hold more of your time? And so when, and especially when you start introducing AI or machine learning algorithms into that, if the goals aren't aligned, that's really dangerous. Because if you think about it in terms of intelligence, I love this example from Sam Harris, and I will get to how I got into this in a moment. Um, but essentially, if you think of it, an ant to a human to brilliant artificial intelligence, like we see ants on the street, like we don't go out of our way to harm ants, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but if their goals interfere with our goals, like they want to exist here and we want to build, like we just annihilate the anthill and don't think twice about it. And so already, some of the most brilliantly crafted machine learning algorithms 
like their goals are not the same as our goals. We don't wake up in the morning and think, how much time can I spend on Instagram today? Right. Um, that's not a human thought. But in general, when those goals aren't aligned, I actually would like to say that we've already lost the first battle to artificial intelligence because of that. Because the things that we're creating with such force and such passion of these brilliant technologies are not really thinking about human values in a way that any intentional person would be like, that's the world we want to build. I saw a, a line on the website that uh, free is the most expensive business model ever made. Yeah. Um, what's the cost of free? Is the cost of free all of the mental health stuff that we're seeing? Is the cost of free these challenges in democracy? Is the cost of free Donald Trump? Like, what is the cost of all of these free systems? And I think it's pretty expensive. And it's hard because, like, there's an inequality conversation that starts to happen of what, is the altern what do the alternatives look like? Um, but I think we've been blind for a long time towards just, just more, more technology. Like, this is great. This is innovation. This is new. This is the future. And I think it's a moment in history for us to take a moment, to take a pause and think about how is this serving and how is this not serving our humanity. And so I, I met, just to quickly wrap it up, I met Tristan Harris, who's the leader of, of this movement, while I was doing that work. And he just articulated beautifully the difference between the things that we will do as human animals in these meat suits if you put a certain set of stimuli in front of us versus the decisions we look back on and cherish. And then understanding the power that we had at the social media company, we weren't even that good at it. We weren't that good at holding attention, but I know, saw the game. I saw the game that we were all playing. And to recognize the difference in that just made me want to help him however, however I could. And, and now my role is head of education, uh, which is mostly about speaking to high schoolers, middle schoolers, parents, teachers, educators about education in the age of distraction and giving young people a different perspective on this stuff because they're getting a lot of finger wagging of like, hey, like you shouldn't be doing this so much. And I come in and say, look, I'm not saying technology is evil in any way, shape, or form. Here's how some of this is designed. Do you maybe want to think about it a little bit differently? Yeah, I, I really appreciate your approach to everything um, because you even have social media accounts, right? I sure do. And uh, with Instagram, I think one thing that stood out was on the 4th of July, uh, Max posted a note that said, public service announcement. Think about how many times you've ever gone back and watched your video of fireworks. <laughs> it was just so pretty good. Point taken, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just not a, it's, there's a disconnect. And right. there's, there's a, there's a, and it's, you know, it's not about the 4th of July. But there are in many, in much of our lives, there are these moments where something starts to creep in of, ooh, if I capture this right now, I can get the likes. Something horrible is happening in front of me. Mm -hmm. Ooh, if I reach out and capture this, I can get the likes. Sometimes, and then when does that seep into our real lives? So when do we only go to the event? And I think this is probably more present with younger generations, but not entirely. Adults are doing this too. Only go to the event or hang out with the certain people to be in their pictures or to make right. sure that it was captured because this is going to be, this is going to be a thing for those of us who like who might know people in the public eye. They start to report, and of course, there's always been some of this in some capacity, but it's like, just, oh my God, I've got to see you. I'm so excited. Selfie, okay, great, bye. Yeah. It's like this, it's what you are is a gateway to, I met this person, I got so many likes, look at me. And there's this disconnect where the digital world seems to have surpassed in importance of the experience in the physical world. And whoa, is that something that we want? Is that something that we want to choose? Because it, as human animals, we seem to be going in that direction at least up to now, and maybe it's time to take a second look at that. I like uh, you say that we're upgrading technology and downgrading humanity. Yeah, I think that says it pretty well. 
And there's a lot of issues that you tackle. Digital addiction, mental health, uh, breakdown of truth, polarization, political manipulation, and superficiality. Um, what are some things, if we were to just start on a basic level? I think everybody that is in this room uh, are probably people that would like to do better. What have been some of the biggest takeaways or game changers that uh, you've suggested to people? Uh, for, for personal Yeah, for personal responsibility with social. So, absolutely. And just one thing I like to caveat, and the organization likes to caveat in that, is that it's so hard, like to fight this battle from the personal responsibility standpoint. It's like, we need to change the systems that are built here because it's it's so much self-control to be asking of people to have a thousand engineers on the other side of the screen who are capturing data on us all of the time. We're carrying these things around 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's so hard to just like do it ourselves and have healthier relationships. We need help from the Apples, the Googles, the Facebooks of the world to help fix these problems that are so systemic. But of the things that we're feeling on a personal level, some of the things that I've found most effective um, are one, turning off all notifications that are not from a human being that is trying to reach you. Mm. So. No, this person has liked your photo. Happy holidays from Tinder. You haven't played Candy Crush in a while. Um, those like those might be looking at you as subject 628743B, and if we send you a notification at 204 and 6 seconds as opposed to 203 and 9 seconds, we have a pretty good idea that you're more likely to come back into our app. Just like wiping that stuff out of your life, and just only if it's like a call or a text, email sort of questionable, I think. Audit your life and see if that's something that you need. Um, but to only let your phone buzz if there's a human trying to reach you is one. Um, another really powerful one is uh, how many of us have our phones as our alarm clocks in this room? Like, Guilty. We've got, probably got like 75% of the room. Um, and if you think about what's happening there, the very first thoughts of your day, the first thoughts of your day, kind of not your own. You're groggy, right? You're a human, so you wake up. You're not like your immediate sharp self first in the morning, unless you're my friend Adam over here, who somehow does do that. Um, <laughs> but most of us are not that way. And then what happens, right? We hit snooze or we hit dismiss, and then all of a sudden we're inundated with all of the ways that we're behind, right? And what are the types of communications we're receiving? Is it, hey, good morning. How no. do you want to start your day today? And it's not what we're taking in. It's, hey, I need that file by this time. Hey, what, like, it's just we're immediately introducing stress into our groggy minds versus like waking up, thinking our own thoughts for 10 minutes. Physical alarm clocks are $8 on Amazon. Um, I highly recommend picking one up and just sleeping with your phone on the other side of the room or outside your room. Um, some people say, well, I sleep, I sleep with mine on airplane mode. And if you have the self-control to not just little thumb mode and tap the thing, good for you. I did not. I needed a real, a real alarm clock. Um, but having a physical alarm clock is a really, really powerful one, I think, well, as well. because the blue light really impacts you, too, before you're trying to fall asleep. Like, scientifically, it can throw off your circadian rhythm, right? Yep. There's a, So in this industry, people are often asking about the research, what is conclusive, what is shown. And, like... I would like to talk about a lot of the not-so-conclusive research and say, like, look, it proves my point. But the reality is a lot of it is we're guinea pigs. We're figuring out what is real and what's not. The blue light is one area that seems very conclusive, that blue light messes with our sleep. Um, so putting your phone, like, outside the bedroom or away for, like, an hour as you wind down, very helpful. If that's not a possibility for you, Flux or Night Shift or certain apps that help diminish some of the blue light. 
can be better than an alternative of not having that. But that's helpful for a lot of people too. And on the Center for Humane Technology website, we need to update this, but we have like a take control page that has a lot of different tips and tricks that are helpful. Uh, I get really concerned a lot of times about um, my friends who are creatives. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I get concerned about everybody, but especially people that are in the public eye, it seems like with social media, it's really increased anxiety and isolation. And I think somebody could say a thousand good things about you and one negative, and what are you going to remember? Um, for people that need to use social media as part of their brand, right, or their connection to an audience, um, do you have any tips or recommendations for that? This is, it's really hard, and this is why we need help from designers of this stuff, too, because it's really hard, because we're humans, right? Mm -hmm. We have some of these vulnerabilities. We care a lot what people think about us, and so we are so susceptible to those negative comments. Um, and when I talk to young people who are trying to be creative and share their art, it's just like, like, can you not, like, when you post, don't look at the likes. Like, when you post, don't look at how much engagement is coming in. Like, don't try not to care or let it affect you. And in some ways, that's asking way too much of the human animal of, like, to not care. Right. Um, but truly, it is such a curse to creativity in many ways to become a slave to what works, to what works in the Facebook algorithm. And what's so funny is as they make changes, all of a sudden now is new creativity better because there's been a change in the Facebook algorithm? Like, no, that's not how we would actually think of our own gifts that we're sharing, but it starts to look that way. And so like, what can we do? Um, like, if it's possible to not look, I really recommend not looking. Um, I struggle with this personally as an artist of I'm sharing and I do, I care. I care how many views it got. I care how many comments or shares it got. But one thing that I actually personally do find helpful, which is from Elizabeth Gilbert, is just like, is saving every like message that is like about how deeply someone was touched. So just mm. like letting that, trying to make that be your measure of success over some arbitrary numbers of like, what are we really measuring? Of like how many lives have we touched in significant ways enough to reach out in something like that? It feels like a more meaningful touch point for me. And so I do like, and when you're experiencing the waves of self-doubt that come with being a creative human to go be able to re revisit that folder of like, oh yeah, this is, this is why I'm doing this and return to that why I found that practice helpful. I like that idea of actually saving the good and positive messages. Somebody told me this, full disclaimer, I did not read the article myself, but see if this sounds right. They said that the way our brains are wired, connected to our eyes, that if you are looking up, that encourages ideas and optimism and openness and connectedness. And if you're looking down, then that's more connected to the ego and shut down. And I think of somebody like shuffling through the hallway, not making eye contact. And they told me that now our entire culture has shifted because we're walking and looking down at our phones all the time, right? So that neurologically, we're just feeling this shift. When it comes to mental health, what sort of things have um, you seen and uh, what should we know? Yeah, the self, and so I, I'm not familiar with that about looking up or down, um, but I will, I mean, just how good can it feel to be hunched over right. with our shoulders, look, you know, spending so much time there, I can't feel great. And there are weird studies coming up of like bones being out of formation in certain kids, and but like these are the extreme examples that the media jumps on. Um, but yeah, I mean, just comparing the behind the scenes of your life 
with everybody else's highlight reel just doesn't feel good, right? And you can even know that. You can know, look, okay, I know social media is just the most pristine and perfect version of everyone else's life. I know it's not real. Still, you're in your underwear at 3 a.m. scrolling and lonely. Like, and when that, like when you're doing that and you're looking at everybody else's, like living their best lives, it just doesn't feel good. And I'd like to say that as adults, we have more capacity to handle that and recognize that. But like, honestly, it's, it's hard for everybody. I think that amount of self-comparison I don't think is healthy. I also think like there's so many nuances of this, of that like Instagram or, or Snapchat, we're filtering our pictures, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one thing of like, oh, it's not real, we filtered it. On the other hand, also every time we have a picture of ourselves, for it to be good enough to share, we have to do this thing. We have to touch it up. We have to make it look a little better. What is that psychological process of every time that we're getting ready to post something that is of us? Well, the regular thing's not good enough. Let me just, let me upgrade. Let me, you know, let me update it to the fake thing so that it's good enough in this environment. Like, that's a tough thing. I, I was, I'm from New York. I watched this girl on the subway and I'm, I will admit, I, if you're on your phone around me, I'm looking at what you're doing on your phone. I'm so curious. Um, and so I watch her like zoom in on her face. I watch her shade her lips and do her eyes in this picture. Zoom out, zoom in on her friend's face. Decide whether or not she's gonna also do her friend's face and friend's mm. eyes. Think about it for a moment. Decide not to do her friend's face and eyes and then post the picture. <laughs> um, and just, this can't be great, you know? <laughs> it can't be great. Um, and I think it's self-comparison leads to a lot, I, you know, it seems to lead to a lot of feelings of loneliness, feelings of anxiety. And one thing that like uh, a bunch of monks came into Google and one of their biggest concerns was that it's never been easier to run from ourselves. Mm. Is that the moment things get a little bit awkward or a little bit uncomfortable in a room, it's never been easier to just pull out the safety blanket of the phone. And it's just, it's a little, it's just like a little motion away. Same thing with like challenging work problems or challenging homework for kids. The moment things get a little bit hard, I'm just gonna play one game, I'm gonna play one game, let me just open up a new tab just for a second, one game, one tab. And as soon as you're entering into that world, and granted, that's coming from an internal place, technology didn't create that need, but as soon as you step into that environment, there is such a strong pull towards the, like, stay here, you've got it, you've got everything you need, you never need to be bored again. And like, what is the cost, cost of free, of those moments, what is the cost of losing boredom? What is the cost of losing those moments where we have to figure out how to deal with our negative feelings and battle through that and learn how to cope with that? Like, what is the cost on a, on a society? Yeah. And we're starting to notice it bit by bit. And one of my biggest fears in it is that I think by the time we're able to articulate one thing, we're on to many, many new things. And so like, it's, I'm, I'm good with words. I'm good at articulating a lot of this stuff. And still, I feel like by the time I've got a good grasp, I'm like, it's this. This is the thing that just changed. And like, are we, do we want that? Are we okay with this trade? Technology is a trade. New technology is not just a gift. If It's a trade. One example of that that I love um, is like, if we wanted to think, oh, who's the actor? Who's the name of that person who was in the thing? Oh, yeah. I could look it up. Yeah. I could figure it out right now, and I'd be done. But what is the trade? And the trade is you and I working together to figure that out, you mm -hmm. and I going through that process and sort of figuring out what, like, oh, he was in that thing. Oh, you see that movie? Yeah, so that too. Yeah. That was funny. Like, we're trading the human interaction in that. And every time we use technology or innovation to solve these problems, we're often trading something else. And I don't think we're thinking about or noticing what those trades are, and it's happening so fast. Um, 
Oh yeah, I mean for sure, Waze has melted my brain. I don't Waze know has. how yeah. to get across the street without looking at my phone so, anymore. So I actually I'm comfortable with that trade. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like in my life, that navigate and I am so navigationally challenged. But for me, in my own, like that trade feels good for me. Hmm. Yeah. Do you promote? Um, you know, and I I want to be conscious of. Um, I said something, and I didn't really word it the right way. I said, "Explain what you do," and I meant, you know. Tell us a little bit more about your work. Hmm. But with respect, you're also uh, in L.A. because you have a show this week. You're an amazing spoken word artist. Thank you. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the podcast is going to come out after your show. But, you know, we'll hopefully get some people there um, from the room tonight. How much do you promote creativity, right? Just like taking a time to be go away and be creative, whether it's working on art, whether it's, I don't know, it feels like that would be a good counterbalance. Do you talk about that much? I mean, I try to practice it. It's, I mean, honestly, I struggle with a lot of the same things I'm talking about. I've not figured all of this out. I do not have all of the answers. I definitely find that, and what's funny enough is I'd write my poetry on my on my notepad. You do? Yeah, I go in airplane mode. Wow. Um, but I write, there's something about the rhythm of the speed at which I can type with my thumbs that feels right for me. Hmm. Um, but I do definitely find that in long periods of time where my phone is away or I'm not around technology, more creativity is flowing, more ideas are flowing. Seems to be true of my own, of my own life. Um, but like, also I feel like we need a survival guide of these practices of what's working, how are like how are people dealing with these challenges? Is any are people finding things that are working really well at helping spark that creativity or have healthy relationships or like manage the negative feelings or p- feelings of comparison that come from social media or the body stuff from screen time? And there's so many, right? Social media didn't create a lot of these problems, but it poured gas, poured gas on all the fires, on all of the fires of these different parts of ourselves. And we got to catch up. We got to catch up and we got to change the way this stuff is built so that we don't need to catch up so much and so fast because it's a losing battle. Generationally, what are you seeing? Because on one hand, I feel like at times I see a younger generation that really has a hard time, um, you know, with direct eye contact and communication. Like there will be a lot of people at work that hide behind their laptop. You know, I'm taking notes. And I'll be like, no, shut your computer. You don't need to take notes. I want to talk to you. But I feel like I'm being aggressive with them. But then I've also heard that maybe some of the Gen Z kids are now pushing back a little bit. And like, what are you seeing, especially since you work in education? Pushing back in terms of? Uh, Like not as interested in social. In social media. Yeah. And that's cool to hear. Yeah. Um, I'm noticing, it does feel like we've reached a point of recognition of when I go into, when I went into schools two years ago, it was much more of like, who is this guy? Like, why are you telling us that? Like, why did they bring you in to try to get me off of my phone? (laughs) Um, And now I'm feeling much more of like recognition of like, okay, like I need help, like managing this of like what, and when I open it up at the end of these at the end of these school discuss- discussions, one of my favorite parts is saying like, "Hey, like you guys know better than me in a lot of ways. What's working for you?" And they're getting up and they're saying like, "How do you set limits for yourself? Like when I'm gaming, like how do I not fall into the 18-hour holes? Like and just do it for one hour?" And then another kid will raise his hand and be like, "There's an app, just like a gaming timer app, or you can just set like a stopwatch on your phone and just do that." And just like they start helping each other. But in some ways, just we need the impetus to spark 
conversations about this, I think. Right. And I, I hope that there's like a, we've reached a point of burnout where we start to look back and think of, hey, do we want this? I, when I talk to parents, I don't have kids right now. I believe that my path will be delay introduction of this stuff for as long as I can to create as much of a baseline as I can of what life is like before this mm. so that when, quite frankly, inevitable burnout happens, there's more of a baseline of like, oh, right, this is, let me think about that in a different way. And of course, when I am introducing technology, I want to show how it's a tool. Hey, I know my phone just buzzed. I'm going to reach for it for a second because I really need to talk to your mom about something. Um, but then I'm going to put it down and be present with you. Like I want to approach it that way and always show how and why I'm using tech when I am to my kids and demo that. Um, but I think like creating as much of a baseline as possible of what that human interaction is like. Because I do, I get some questions from kids being like, we're not getting classes on how to talk face to face. Like how, right. how do we know, like adults want us to do this, but we don't know, like, we don't know how. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've had conversations with a few people in this room about how there's not enough focus on EQ, right, in education and... Um, Which is, it's at, like for this next generation, if I can hammer one thing home, is like that, it's everything. It's absolutely everything to combat this is self-awareness and emotional intelligence. Um, Yuval Harari has an anecdote, which I love repeating, which is that he talks about how when he was 18, he realized he was gay. And then he spent the next six months thinking, how did I not know that about myself? Like, how did I go such a long time not knowing that? And in a world of the future of technology, could maybe an eye-tracking software have predicted with relatively high accuracy of like that there was a chance that he might have, that he was gay. And what would a world have looked like in which he got a notification saying, hey, there's an 85% chance. Um, and what would a world would have looked like if Coke knew and Pepsi didn't, and one was serving him shirtless men ads and one was serving him shirtless women ads. And so like in a world where this technology is pushing so hard to get to know us, to motivate us, to sell us different things or try to steal our time, can we win the race to know ourselves can we win the race to know ourselves? Can we help kids better understand their emotions, their impulses, where they're coming from so that they can recognize when that urge is actually something that they want and when they're caught, when they're in the rabbit hole and they're going down a path they maybe wouldn't have chosen to go down. And so like both changing technology to protect our vulnerabilities and also to help us know ourselves and help us flourish, number one, and number two, as individuals, winning the race to know ourselves, really getting to know our emotions, our impulses, and who we are and what our drives are so that we can have a fighting chance as technology gets so good at it. I'm going to want to open it up to the room to have some conversations, and if people don't ask questions, I may call people out on conversations we've already had. Uh, but um, what can we do? Aside from getting together in real life and having conversations, what do you suggest? How can we help support the work you're doing? Yeah, um, we have a, it's like, there's so many different elements and layers and ways we need different people to get involved in different ways. Uh, there's a page on our website of humanetech.com slash, I believe, get involved, get dash involved, which has more details on how to do that. Um, it really varies from different ideas and backgrounds. Um, and unfortunately, like, I really wish, I, when I sit in these chairs, I'm like, I wish I could just, like, give people the answers and, like, give the silver bullet where this is how you're going to have a better relationship with this stuff. But the reality is that we're left with such an 
oftentimes all or nothing choice of either we're introducing technology into our lives and then we're getting the benefits and also the chaos of all the distractions and all these mm-hmm. other things, or we're putting it away and we lose out on some of the benefits, but we have our peace of mind. Um, and it shouldn't be that choice. Like that's not a choice we would design as intentional people in society. And so really can we change the way these companies are pushing us and the way these products are built so that it is an intentional product. I would, lo- I would love to see a world where technology companies were competing for what is the best social network? What is the best network that helps our social lives look like? Yeah. Helping us spend more time with the people that we care about. Illuminating experiences that we wouldn't have realized were, other- were possible otherwise. Um, like, what does that look like? And what does it look like if that's the competition? Not just for the biggest phone and the best camera, um, but like, what, how do we, like, what's the next layer? Like, what does it look like to really deeply change the way we've, like, look at our lives and societies? Like, how cool would it be how cool would it be if these companies were really helping us be like, like if the, if the app store were a help center of like, you know what, I'm trying to live more creatively. What are the things that were rated not just one to five stars on whether they work well, but like whether they help me in this task of flourishing in my creativity and living more boldly and living more honestly and helping me find and connect with new people, having meaningful relationships. Like what are those categories? Right. And how cool would it be if tech companies became the philosophers of the future to think about what does it mean to live a meaningful life? And can we have that be the competition where we get to choose? Like I, I want to live in that world. Um, and we don't seem to be heading down that road right now. And I would love for us to be. And I think Apple has an incredible opportunity um, to be one of those forces because the business model is not misaligned in a way that it is with so many other companies. Yeah, I like I like what you said about tech companies being the philosophers. And um, when I went to that AI salon recently, what I walked away with was with more data, more technology, you're going to need creatives more than ever before. I hope so. Um, it's uh, You also have, you know, machines winning essay writing contests and symphony writing contests. And when you ask the people in the audience what you like about it, they're like, it just had the most soul, you know? Wow. Um, but it's, but, but I, I do hope so. Uh, yeah, I hope that that is the way, the way that things go. And what, just one story I'd like to tell is, like, uh, a friend was talking about how his friend works at Facebook, and he was so proud of him for doing so much self-work so that as he's influencing 2 billion people's, like, lives and attention, like, there he's going to know he's going to have be, have a better chance of steering that in a good direction. And on one hand, beautiful. And like I commend all of that. And on the other hand, don't you just know that 10 years from today, that same friend is going to look back on himself and say, oh, can't believe what I believed. <laughs> like can't believe that that's how I thought the world was or that's what I thought was right. And so when we silly little humans like are putting so much push towards a future that just goes Right. It's like, can we really move slow and steady with this one of to make sure that like that we're valuing deeply the things that we that we care about and want to flourish? Can we stop and check and test and not like just dive into computers in the brain like computers in the brain and towards all of this this virtual reality future? Um, like can we think about it really thoughtfully and intuitively and just carefully about what we're what we're losing as we're gaining? And can we go forward with that mindset as opposed to move fast and break things? Because when you move fast and break things, things break. What is the Center for Humane Technology, if anything, doing uh, around policy and government? Because that's terrifying when you see Zuckerberg sitting up there and, yeah. you know. Um, that is definitely terrifying. Um, I, like, I'm one day a week with the Center. I don't know that side of things so mm-hmm. particularly well. I know that it's smart people who are working on it. 
Um, I think they are advising on policies and um, regulations and things like that, but I don't want to speak to an area that I'm not certain of how they are handling. But it is it's a terrifying side of the world <laughs> of how this stuff affects that, and that could be a whole other conversation. Uh, how about in the room? I know we definitely have Lori with a question. Hi. Hi. Fascinating to hear all of your information. Thank so you. So I have a four-year-old. So um, screen time is always a battle. And I really do try to regulate it. And I've read all the studies and whatnot. But I also feel like there is some value to it in a few things, a few ways. Number one, that is the future. You, He already knows how to navigate that. Like... I think they have to wire their brain somewhat to know how to navigate. He learns a lot. Like I monitor what he watches. There's so many educational things. You know, we're a city family, so it's hard to, you can't run around on the farm and like play with animals. And so I feel like there is value. Now when he starts talking in cat in the hat dialect, I realize it might be a little much. However, um, what are some of the advantages that you're seeing for kids with screen time? Well, sure. I mean, right, there's there's so much on the internet. There's so many tools. Some of them are great. And also, I don't mean to shame anybody. And like, everybody, do you. Raise your kids however you want to raise your kids, for sure. And it's the guinea pig generation. We don't know exactly what's best. Um, it's, what I'll say with like, with those positives, is like how, especially with the watching with the media side of things, it's like you find in things like YouTube Kids or things of that nature, these educational programs, you have these kids who can't read, right? Like can't read yet at that age. And you're just tapping the next picture and the next picture and falling into the algorithmic rabbit holes that maybe aren't where you intended to go. Um, but like, I think there's, yeah, it's great. If you're finding things that are working and are educating, like that's awesome. I feel like we need better collections of what these tools are that are really powerfully pushing young people in like a direction that feels good for their parents and for themselves. Um, I'm just I'm hearing on my side of things a lot of the nightmare stories um, and preliminary research towards things like when they're exposed at a really young age, the brain starts to get wired towards reward systems from digital environments being more powerful than in real world environments. And so then does it become a compounding effect later on in life? And I don't know. It's too early. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be or what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I kept it away for the first couple of years too. Like you said, I really wanted to get that baseline and then it was a slow introduction and you can see they can get sucked in so easily and it can become a real battle sure. if you're not careful. And also it's intuitive, right? That was one of the things about, about Apple especially. Of like They don't need to be taught any. It's like it just, it just feels natural and right. And yeah, and there is the like, well, we need to teach them how to use this because this is the future. Also, like, I feel like it, that just doesn't feel like the reality I'm noticing. It doesn't feel like we're at risk of them not knowing how to use mm -hmm. technology or these devices. It feels like the risk is not knowing what life is like is out without them, is right. what I'm noticing. Great. Thank you. Yeah. That's a good point. That is I a good point. I have a goddaughter who went to the Waldorf school and was pretty disconnected, and now all of a sudden is a teenager and Instagram's no problem. She's uh, pretty official. She snapped into it quick. Eric, yeah. did you have something you wanted to say? I thought you looked like you were going to bring... No? Sorry. Uh, any... Oh, come on, Mika. Can you step up this way? Yeah, sure. It might be a little tough to hear from all the way back here. Okay, so let's say I'm Google, Facebook, or Instagram, or Apple. What are the actual suggestions you have that I need to change in order to save humanity? I think I really do think... And yeah, big question, right? And who the heck am I, right, to like 
say this is the way for the future of of humanity. Well, you brought up that it needs to be changed. Yeah. Oh no, totally. And I and I think it does. Um, I, absolutely. I just want to sort of acknowledge, as I am about to answer this question, the ridiculousness of one person about to try to answer that question. Um, but what I like, what I I think the first step for me is that concept of like the central, the home screen and the app store to rethink, reimagine what those are, reimagine them to the perspective of what is the purpose of this thing in one's life and how well is it delivering on that task or that goal and creating a relationship with the user of only people who call um, their their users, users are technologists and drug dealers, but how do we create that relationship with the user so that we can actually measure and understand the impact on this person's life and their goals and their values as opposed to just the amount of time being used on it? That's really hard. That takes a lot of reimagining of what the screens literally look like. If I were deploying teams towards an outcome or towards a change, that is where I would focus, looking at life looking at like not just measuring success in terms of the easy to measure success thing of how long was this button pressed or how long did I watch or how many clicks did this get, but really taking a qualitative look at how did this impact your life and measuring and designing both home screens and app stores accordingly. So this is sort of a question, sort of a comment. Um, I, I have been doing a lot of speaking about this fear around humans being automated out and you know the the ai sort of replacing human skills and you had touched on this that the the importance of eq in terms of balancing technology in our daily lives but it's also a life skill that for all the research that's happening right now that really will empower young people to not be automated out because all of the studies are like, these are the things that AI can do really easily. These are the things AI can't. AI can't demonstrate care. AI can't necessarily extrapolate in decision trees, in you know triage environments. AI can't um, emote and give counsel, right? So these types of skills are not only for you know children to necessarily have less screen time it's like survival skills so that they're viable going forward right so do you guys sort of um is that like a priority conversation or is it more just about like here's how to stay healthy in this world are you touching on that I, i mean i think just like what a beautiful like what a beautiful overlap, right? And also that, quite frankly, learning about ourselves and our emotions feels also like a pretty good way to be able to live a self-driven and meaningful life. Right. Um, so I think a lot of it naturally comes together mm-hmm. in in all of that regard. I just, if I were guess, like, I feel like it's so hard to predict, like, what are the areas that are going to be viable that AI can't take over or that, it, I feel like it's very hard to know with any kind of certainty, mm-hmm. like what those will and won't be and things could change in a heartbeat. So like I just personally have been less focused on like it's this because this is what the future of your job is going to be like. I just I can't say that with confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that like to, you can't you can't if you don't know what your emotions are you can't tell that Instagram is making you feel not good. Um, like that one feels point addable to me, so I have more focus on it. But I love that there's overlap in other ways or for other reasons. I wanted to ask 
seeing your experience, how you feel um, each generation has changed, or at least throughout time, the, their interaction with social media. And if you found there's a difference, and you're, if you're any at all <laughs> optimistic about the future. It really feels like every two, three years, you have something totally different. And it's really hard, to be honest, to keep track of the, diff for me, for the different ways it's affecting the different generations. Um, I, I definitely notice it as year in and out, going into schools and and in different regions and different areas. Um, am I optimistic? I just, I'm, I'm blindly human optimistic for like no good reason at all. <laughs> um, just other than like just faith that we're all going in a very specific direction with a purpose. But it's it's really it's really hard to keep it's really hard to keep on top of this and in some ways you know what oh this is the next thing these kids these kids and their social media devices as is being said by every generation forever of like that these kids and it's totally chaos um i do think we're in a new category shift of it for the reasons that like one we didn't carry around our big tv 24 hours a day seven days a week it wasn't collecting personalized data on us all of the time i didn't need to go inside of my tv to talk to my friends and to do my work um and like and that does feel like a different level of whoa this is happening here but i i there is some of like well like i'm a 30 year old guy trying to figure out what are the different problems and areas in these different generations and how could i know there's new life new things happening all the time but it's so fast, it's so fast that it feels scary to keep, to keep track of. And I think that's some of it for us, for adults. It feels scary. Oh my God, it's all changing so fast. Is it okay? And I hope it will be. Um, and I'd like for us to slow down. But I hope it will be. <laughs> I heard something pretty hilarious yesterday about kids. Uh, I was having a conversation about when we were kids and we used to fold notes in class and then the teacher would grab it and like read it in front of everybody. And I was like... What happens now? Do they just take somebody's phone and read all their DMs? <laughs> Apparently, kids now in class open up Google Docs and just sit and chat in the Google Docs with each other. Blew, blew my mind. Yeah. It's a little nice. And that's one of the challenges. Because <laughs> like, like even the simplest technology, right? Yeah. Of like, oh, and Google Docs is so, so powerful in so many ways, so many positives. But if there's chat, you couldn't design a better note passing machine, right? right? Like you literally couldn't. It's a tough trade. Yeah, anybody? Okay, come on up as close as you can, Eric. Yeah, sorry. So I'm going back to uh, the, the comment you made at the beginning about the fact that it's so difficult for ourselves to change something about that. And that, um, you know, large organizations that are actually producing those, uh, those contents and those platforms have a responsibility in it. But um, to the point of the conversation you had just before, is this something which is even deeper about the fact that uh, in all times, taking the example of televisions, uh, we've always, um, I mean, in the 20th century, we've already created different forms of and strategies to get uh, people's attentions to buy more. Mm -hmm. And as you said, now we have this kind of mega amplifier systems with technology that you carry all the, all the time with you. So, I mean, the question is there more structural questions about uh, consumerism and the way actually uh, we, we, we keep regenerating that model and we finance companies that uh, service those other companies for selling more product. So also, yes, right? Like it absolutely same system, same process. Um, I think we've gotten, yes, and in many ways, the exact same goals and the exact same trajectory. What's changed is that we've gotten so good We've gotten so good at the same things we've been trying to do for years, and now there's such specific 
targeted data and like in the politics example of to be able to like specifically target the lie that a person is most likely to believe like in a political standpoint and to be able to really know that with certainty and do it in very difficult to track ways that feels new to me like that's like that doesn't feel like it's about you know our consumerism or the ways that we're thinking or being there's just like we're humans we have fears we have like we have ways that we operate that seem to be infiltrate uh, infiltratable and we've reached a point where in certain circumstances we've gotten good enough to infiltrate and so that's the new that's the new challenge but like but yeah i mean changing things like consumerism in our culture absolutely will show themselves in this like in the systems that are built and surrounding and amplifying social media isn't did not create a lot of these problems it's amplifying so much of us but just like which pieces of us like which pieces of of our many different selves and beings and are those the ones that we'd pick from Victoria who just released my new favorite song it's called Drama uh, uh, go ahead Victoria okay um, so it's actually touching upon that I've always felt really comfortable on social media kind of being on display entirely as an artist and human like going through uh, not only my highlight reel but also like all the shit that I'm dealing with yeah. and more so than ever I think because I'm like older than I've ever been which is always the case but like I'm going I'm like an adult now and going through like adult things you know and and I don't want to share it all like I so I'm actually sharing a lot less about what I'm going through and I find myself rejecting being on display as much and I'm just promoting the song and I'm like keeping all the rest of my shit to myself and it makes me feel a little bit like I'm I'm irresponsibly using social media because I'm I'm doing I'm caving into the highlight reel without being true with people about like yo my life isn't perfect like I've got this other stuff going on um, so I, I, the reason I mention it I guess is just to ask you if you feel like artists and creatives people who publish things about themselves like if we have a responsibility to be a little bit like oversharey or like really honest and straightforward with people that things aren't perfect or if I should just kind of you know take it as you know social media is my job I got to promote the song and I'm good with that and I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with my stuff like you deal with it with without technology like I would deal with it you know 50 years ago the same way you know so I mean I think you should do what feels right for you of like with with everybody and if it feels right to by like Totally. And I, I think what I'd like to even invite is that to me, what I'm more concerned about is that like, even when we're being honest or vulnerable, social media does this thing where suddenly it's a competition of vulnerability, yeah. right? Where like yes. the vulnerable wow. thing. Yes. Yes. Resounding like agreement in the room. <laughs> I know. It struck a chord. Yep. It's it really like, and that's the, that's the machine. It's that like whatever you put in to this environment it just immediately pushes it towards the extremes or the edges of it. And so like even when we are of like when we are sharing or like when we are saying like hey this is like and also if you can just be like hey this is what's going on in my life right now like things like I'm not feeling great about this this is me here I wanted to share that boom bye. Like wow. One wow that you can just be so blocked out to all of the external forces that the thing bubbles up. Um, I'm very impressed. I have trouble doing that myself. Um, but even when, even if we are 
doing that, even if we're able to do that, it feels like it quickly, to me, starts to become that competition as of soon as, you it, as soon as you publish it. Yeah. And then, ooh, like, how many likes did my vulnerability get? Right. And how, like, how, how popular was this? And why it wasn't as popular as the last thing? Or, ooh, it was more popular than the last thing. I should be vulnerable more often. It's like that, that one post of like, just cool, like, great, share what you want to share. I don't want to stop anybody from sharing anything you want to share. And what a beautiful thought process. This is a good action you can take. It's just thinking not just like, am I sharing this because I'm wanting something? Or just am I sharing something because I want to give it? Um, but like, like I, I wanna, like I wanna present this. I wanna share what's going on right now. Um, but get, like, to let it be for each individual post. I'm like, great. Like, it should, but it's so interesting the interaction effect between them. How when oh, the next one, it's like, oh, that didn't do as well. All right. We can, often we can relate to. I posted it. Wow. Like, it's been 30 seconds, and how many likes did I get? Less than I get in the last couple in terms of my ratio of how many of how the likes are going up. We start. Getting it's so a number does this thing to us, and with no matter what we're sharing, it becomes so hard for it to really be the truth, or really be the vulnerability, or really be about the struggle. It becomes about this other thing, and that's where like that's where I get more concerned with it. Like I don't think you need to feel bad for posting anything you do or don't like. You know, want to share, um, and yeah, and I truly I don't want to I don't want to make anybody feel bad for their social media use no it's just more so the curiosity of like how can i be like a positive force if i'm going to engage with all this stuff like we all are going to engage with it so i don't want to be part of the like the the destroyer machine you know one thing that i find helpful sometimes and i get lost in this is is there one or two people who just really need to hear this right now and can i share for those one or two people and then not care if it gets zero likes of like well, for one or two people, like, that was important or that mattered. And then ask yourself that, and then ask yourself, is that really why I'm posting this? <laughs> because it's very easy for it to pretend to be about that when it's about something else. Um, but I think for how can I contribute and be a positive force, who's the person that, like, needs to hear something from me right now, and do I have, like, a gift for them, and can I share that? Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite topics right now, just redefining our definition of success, right, is, like... You know, the song the most people heard, the best song, or, you know, I mean, it's like a difference between a Katy Perry song or a Mac Miller song. It's subjective, right? And what do you want to share out into the world? I think that's a good thing to think about. Do you have another one? Yeah. Go for it. I kind of wanted to piggyback on that. I'm also an artist and songwriter, and kind of my goal as a storyteller is to have meaningful content. And so my question is, how do you market meaningful content in a society that's very short attention span and very superficial? And as you said, the more likes are just given by I don't, aesthetics. Um, that's kind of it. <laughs> Let me know if you figure that one out. Okay, I'll follow Do you think Instagram will really turn off the likes? Because there's been studies in some countries. It's yeah, in Canada. I think they tested it. Um, what's interesting is it would still be it would just change the beast. I think it's a step in the right direction, but they'd still be measuring the likes and would still be giving influencers and people the opportunity to show their likes to brands, etc. So in some ways, it just sort of is taking away the publicity of that it's for likes. In other ways, I think that would be a very helpful tool. Like I really do think that's a step in the right direction, and I think they might. I think they might do that. Um, I worry that the decisions aren't being made for, is this the right thing? Is this what we want to do? 
or is it just kind of justifying the different ways in which they can be grabbing more attention or appeasing public relations? Uh, you have another thought, Eric? Yeah, but just uh, beyond that, I guess my understanding of what they're trying to experiment in is, uh, is to remove the likes because it's becoming annoying for people to like, so to tap on it. But they're measuring when you stop, so the picture, and they're measuring engagement on that. So the bottom line, in the insight, we're still gonna see how many people really spend time looking at your picture. So there will be like a, a passive form of measuring engagement. But it was really for tackling the problem of people getting, you know, because they, they, they connect with so many accounts, it takes so much time to just tap on it. So they're just measuring the speed you will scroll and stop. I mean, if that's really what's happening, that's just even more, that's even more mindless than the double tap. And that would be a very, sad thing there's a video of like a chimp on instagram that i saw and it just like stops on like the naked woman it stops on the other chimps and it stops on the snake it's like those are the things that we stop on is of like the like sex ourself and like fear and so like is that what we like i hope we're not pushing in that direction and i hope that's not the replacement measure because that's such a bad one but i don't know this isn't a question, it's an acknowledgement. You said something that just blew me away. Uh, to, to Lori's point, I was just thinking about how much TV I watched as a kid, right? Like, I'm a child of the 70s. I watched Scooby-Doo, I watched Looney Tunes, I watched Woody Woodpecker. Like, I had a TV in my room, it was a little black and white TV, it was always on. And I'm like, but I turned out okay. Like, <laughs> but you know, you, what you said was like, but we didn't carry our TVs around with us and we didn't have to reach inside of our TV to talk to our friends. Like, that's the difference, is the, the portability and the multitude of uses for it, yeah. right? Like, that, I I, so. thank you for giving me that perspective, because I was just always like, what's the difference? That's the difference. Yeah, and I think that's a big one. I like the example of like with like ice cream. I love ice cream. Um, if I had to carry ice cream around 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if I had to go inside of ice cream to talk to my friends and do my work, and if ice cream was collecting data on me to be more personally delicious every day, I would have an ice cream problem. <laughs> and I arguably already have an ice cream problem. Danny? Um, so to kind of switch back a little bit on to the education part of what you do. Um, so I have a seven-year-old, and he is obsessed with Minecraft. Everything Minecraft, playing Minecraft, watching Minecraft, all of that, and so, you know, that the communication of well, why why can't I why can't I watch more? Why can't I play more? And you know, it, it, and at a certain point, I was like, it's because you you act like a jerk when you've been on there for too long, and it's Beautiful. absolutely true. And you know, so I guess my question is is what do you do on the educational level, you know, when you're working with schools and kids and how young do you, um, how, how young are the kids that you work with or the youngest kids that you work with? I'm mostly starting low end of middle school and it feels in some ways like my message is like a little bit complex for some of the younger kids, mm -hmm. but I have a good one for this, I feel like, which is because I was a gamer and I would go on 18 hour Halo benders when I was younger. And if you were to ask me if I liked Halo, I'd be like, yeah, I love Halo. Halo is the only thing I want to do. If you were to ask me, how does Halo make me feel? I think that's a different question because for the first hour, oh my God, exhilarated, incredible. This is amazing. The next 17, I was just desperately trying to get to the next level and I was in a fit of rage and desperation. Um, and so I think separating those two things and asking, asking your, your son, daughter, 
of like son uh not do you not like oh like what do you think of this game it's like how does this make you feel and if he's becoming a jerk in it I love the perspective that you're taking on that of like, hey, I'm noticing that this is how you're in, like acting and behaving in the real world after you play this game. So I don't like that, and that's not the person that I think you want to be. So that's what that's where this limit is coming from. That's what it's about. I feel like that is absolutely the the human and holistic approach to take on that. But that question of how does this game make you feel, um, and trying to help instill that awareness can be helpful. That's and elementary school um they were still we're seeing all of what is starting now in middle school and high school and it's starting very early um so one of the reasons for me um this year i stepped up as the pta president because i'm very passionate about bringing in social emotional learning at a very early age into elementary schools and and, and we're bringing in um, school assemblies on anti-bullying, you know, and it's already in the in, in elementary school, you know, about cyberbullying and just the way that they treat each other. Um, so, how do you how would you incorporate your education and, and what you're doing into um, maybe into into an elementary school setting? Um, because I think what you're what you're doing and the education that you're providing is is very important, and and I would like to see that um, at the elementary school level. Part of the curriculum, yeah. Yes. Me too, and I haven't figured out what that looks like. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wish I had a better answer for you, okay. but I I don't know what that looks like to introduce so so young. To be honest, like it just hasn't been the fo- like yeah. has I yeah hasn't I, been the focus of my yeah. work. Yeah. Parent and, and other parents that are in the school, you you start you start seeing it now. Yeah. And and it, it and it's really um, impactful because of the way that the, the kids treat each other. Um, this whole social media and the cyberbullying and just it, and it's um, it's starting a little way too early and it's making me feel really uncomfortable. But part of that is like I said, is trying to bring in that the, the the social emotional learning and development at that age so that they can be aware of their feelings and, and how to manage that. Yeah. And I like, I feel, I mean, often I feel like an imposter in this space, but like of, I don't feel like I have great answers for you. The things I am doing right now when I'm faced with that in schools that I, do, I will share with you. I don't know if it works or the right thing, but one is uh, like sharing, like reminding people that there's a human being on the other side of the screen. Sometimes it's just easy to forget as we're typing that like that's a person on the other side that you're talking to. Um, and also, like, the term coward is an interesting one for me um, in that, like, I believe it is cowardly to type mean things to somebody from behind a screen, and I believe it is brave to share about how you're feeling and, like, how that you're hurt. And I try to frame when I'm on stage in front of kids of, like, that's what cowardice looks like, and this is what bravery looks like, and can we be on, on the brave side of this equation and just reminding them that saying a crappy thing to somebody from behind a screen says a lot more about you than it says about them. And like those are the the lines that I've been using. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's what I've got right now. Okay. Yeah. Andy. Hey. Um, so leading into education being um, one of the ways to tackle these kinds of problems, um, 
I was in a SEO startup. I'm a data engineer now. I spend a lot of time thinking and talking about data. Um, and I think that one of the things that really made me change my behavior was realizing that every single click you have on, every single click you do on the internet is worth five to five cents to ten, fifteen dollars, right? And it really changed the way that I participated as an internet citizen, right? Um, because if I, if my actions are translating directly into dollars, directly into what a company is going to, um, or what a publisher is going to continue to publish, I want to make sure that I'm doing it really responsibly. For instance, there is someone who I'm not going to name, but um, I don't believe in their mission statement. I don't believe in the things that they promote, and so I don't click on anything that has their names. Kardashians. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Um, so my question to you is, do you think that if people understood the business of the internet and what their actions really translate to on the internet, do you think that they would make better choices? And I guess everyone here can answer that. Do you think that if you knew more about like how how the business side of it worked, would you, do you think you'd make different choices? I think Open that up for the room. mindfulness. At the end of the day, how you said as well to ask your kids the question of like, how does that make you feel? It's mindfulness and practicing that and understanding who you are before the technology gets you. I totally agree with that. And it's obviously the more you know, the more you're, you're able to exercise your free will and not be like, okay, I'm making this choice because somehow five years ago I got this ad and so it's like you're you're practicing your free will I think but by being mindful and I think it's always a good exercise to do right mindful go ahead um, just a quick note of, because I work in MarTech um, that once I learned the implications of ads being served and you know it's like no coincidence that you talk about cowboy boots and then you see and you've never talked about cowboy boots in your life right um, and once I switched browsers to DuckDuckGo, yes. right? Um, switched my browsers to DuckDuckGo, I switched off notifications, got Facebook off my phone, I still have Instagram, but like, you know, all of these things, the experience of mindfulness um, in choosing and selectively choosing how you want to be served ads and quieting the ads to the degree that you can really helps in mindfulness because it just creates space. There's also a really great concept called obfuscation that it um, it automatically does Google searches in the background of just random stuff so that when they analyze your data, they can't tell what's real and what's not because it's just, it's buried in a sea of nonsense. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I have a question. I have a question for you. So this, this really freaky thing happened to me recently where I was walking on... Melrose and I saw a really cute t-shirt in the window of a store mm -hmm. and it was this French brand that I'd never thought about or paid attention to and I paused for maybe 10 seconds and was like hmm, that's a cute t-shirt and I got in my car and I got an ad for this French brand that yes. I had I, I, never... I can answer that question. <laughs> yes, your phone is listening yeah. and watching everything you're doing and selling you ads. And it's geo-tracking. So yeah, but so I'd be curious with the data people in the room, but my understanding is that the truth is creepier than that. Is that the truth is that it's so most of the time, and obviously like Echo and things like that, 
are listening when you say their names. Um, like, and I'm, but I believe my understanding is that most of the time it's not actually listening to your audio. But okay, I'll, let me get you one second. But the I, what my understanding of it is that there's such a good data profile on you that like the chances of you, a person about your age, about your demographic, who lives where you live, um, the chances of you seeing that and then getting the ad are very are relatively high because there's such a strong data profile of you. So like the reason that they're in that store and why you see the ad is a very coordinated effort that is not actually about you stopping and it tracking that you did so that. It just but it, it just I think that it just knows you so well right. that like the chance that we we've like there are a million other lab rats that are look kind of like you yeah. that are running through the maze and so there's a pretty good chance because we have a pretty good idea of what you might like to think, huh? I might click on that. And so that's my understanding, but it sounds like you have no information I don't. Probably true, but... Um, I mean, I didn't say anything. I thought it, and it <laughs> served me an ass. Your thoughts are definitely not being tracked. Like, like, someone who has the same profile as you, yeah. is the same age, is into the same things, if they search for this brand, if they were walking down the same street as you, if they search for that brand up top, they would say, oh, anything might think that this is cool, too. And maybe and they, they typed something it. about it, and then... But for, yeah, Forrest seems yeah, like... Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I've got an even crazier one than that. A friend of mine is a former national chess champion, and I was at Restoration Hardware and took a photograph of a gigantic chessboard, not on Instagram, not on Facebook, with the camera on my phone. And the next day, I got ads on Instagram for chessboards. Oh, yeah, that, well, your photos, a lot of apps have access to your photos. No, 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 it's completely blocked. But no. All of my shit on Instagram is Everything, but like so, but so it doesn't have to be Instagram. Like, there's no app on your phone that has access to your photos. We might have to decide about that. But what what I'm saying is, it's irrelevant if the apps have access to my photos. The point is, the point I was making is, your phone is constantly listening, watching, and monitoring everything that you do. But I don't think it's listening. I think it is monitoring every click, every time. And it's sort of, you know, it doesn't matter so and, much. I just and, think it's uh, my understanding of it. all of the photos that I take. And or, also, or also maybe, so you, you met this friend personally? Like you were next to him physically? This chess champion? No, I took a photo of a chess board in a restoration hardware store and texted it to him. Texted it to this chess champion? Yes. On text messaging? On text messaging. Okay. Because it could have been through the friend, like suggesting for you to buy as a gift for a friend. Because they oh, no. have data no. on your friends. But anyway, not on it's. There's usually an explanation that is not they are listening to you. But every click, every tap, tap, every. And on most photos, if you are connected to anything, is going. And I, I was don't want to. I was talking wanna... with a friend in San Francisco one time on FaceTime about visiting a video game conference about doing sound design for video games in San Francisco. This guy does a lot of work for Blizzard and Activision and several other companies. And 10 seconds after I got off the phone, there were uh, ads popping up on Instagram for a video game sound design developers conference that was going on in LA in two weeks. The, you know, we don't have enough information to dive into these individuals, but well, I, I, I feel you. They've got the shopping down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they got the shopping down. Um, okay, before people get too violent, um, <laughs> there's a few things I want to do, and I, I just want to ask uh, one more time.
time to wrap up. Is there anything you really want people to keep in mind? Like one takeaway from all of this? I'm sure everybody's wheels are spinning. I think my favorite of the bunch is that like winning the race to know yourself because it feels like it applies in so many other areas of our life anyway. Um, and just doing our absolute best to understand the people that we are and our emotions and where our impulses come from feels like to me the most life beneficial way of trying to fight this thing. And there's more on the Center for Humane Tech website at Get Involved of ways you can more directly try to change the way these tech products are built. Okay, a few more things and we're going to end with something special. One, I have to shout out uh, Alicia and the real Bonnies that made the food tonight. Fun fact, I'm Norwegian. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, like the ancestors. Not, I'm not from there directly. <laughs> but I did go to Norway a couple years ago, and there was this cake, and it's called Verden's Best Day, and it translates to the world's best cake. And I had it in Norway. I was like, this really is the best cake in the world. And I bought a, a cookbook at the airport and brought it back, and I could never make it. Alicia made the cake that tonight. That smells so good. Yes. There's Norwegian flags in it. I bought two years ago in Norway that I never could put in my own cake that wasn't servable. So everybody try that. I feel One. Like this is cruel to the listeners, but I'm into it. Yeah. Uh, two, I generally start the episode by bringing everybody into the room. And I think I was so excited to ask, um, conversa- or ask you questions that I totally didn't. I'd like to still do that. I mean, we have people visiting from Amsterdam. Kent. Uh, so just really quick, we're going to go around quick and everybody shout out just their first name. Amy. Eileen. Adam. Quinn. Okay, go ahead. Quinn. Kendra. Wardell. Cassie. Mika. William. Eric. Danny. Forrest. Corbin. Angie. Lori. Vanessa. Ryan. Victoria. Tracy. Um, thanks so much everybody for coming and I was wondering if Max if you would just close us out with maybe uh, one of your spoken word pieces I would um, and what feels the most appropriate one to me is uh, about you know as we understanding the way I do the way that these are platforms are designed and thinking about the future that we're heading into um, in some ways, I think virtual reality is a beautiful thing that seems like it's helping people regain motion in their limbs in certain capacities. You have these incredible apps where people are facing fears that like from public speaking, things you can like practice for real life. And I think that's so cool. But if we use some of the same principles in these even more engaging mediums, I get nervous for what kind of future that creates. And I was at Disney World as an adult, which is actually not an experience I recommend. Um, and I, uh, and I loved the Disney movies as a kid growing up. Um, and there's this one sort of virtual reality-esque like glasses that you put on and you've got headphones on. So you're listening to all the songs and then, and you're like traveling through these movies I loved as a kid. And there's this one moment where you dive into the little mermaid and they drop water from the ceiling. And I felt like I saw the future at Disney world and it wasn't real or not like I know real, not like we've defined real. But I dove into the virtual sea and I felt the water splash across my face. I heard the ocean in my ears. I saw a mermaid singing right in front of me and I could touch. Well, right through her. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? And I can't be the only one to see the irony that she wants to be. Where the people are. She wants to see them, see them dancing. But as a representative sample, it's supposed to be dancers. 
We're fine. Thank you. Content here in our minds. Thank you. Let's turn reality to channel 259. Thank you. Walking around on those. What are they called again? Who remembers? We never use them anymore. Scene change to behind Aladdin and Jasmine on their magic carpet ride. And as I marvel at this new fantastic point of view, I realize love could live here too. I could build a whole new world with you, adventure with you, fly through skies of green and trees of blue, this shining, shimmering, splendid gift. is now available for just $19.99 when Squarespace meets Oculus Rift. Scene change to the African plains to where Simba and Nala are playfully playing. So close that I'm literally part of their game, but I can't quite feel the wrestling. Not yet. But give it time, we're still developing. We'll make simulation much more like the real thing. You'll have complete control over everything because we just can't wait to be king. We just can't wait to rule over the worlds we create rather than participate in the one we share. And we'll be able to build our own world soon. Let's have tea in Morocco this afternoon. And this evening I'll build you a palace on the moon and we'll sip soup on silver spoons and for dessert we'll have gravity removed. We'll float through the cosmos with oxygen tubes. I've rejigged the physics of Mars and Neptune to make them more suitable for you. Our minds, worlds, they have different rules. No longer bound by atmosphere, nature's limitations wiped clear. You can just turn people on and off in here. So by reality channel 8365, my world's only touched by those I decide. I'm completely immersed in the confines of my own mind, opposing ideas left swiped aside. But maybe eventually we'll come to find that we needed each other. This whole damn time. Maybe this world we're the tiniest piece of has a system of balance we would never dream of, pushing us somewhere we won't consciously scheme up. Maybe we shouldn't have so much power. Maybe going forwards is backwards. Maybe we should go lie in the grass and make love without glasses, even if it only stimulates orgasm classic. I want to be where the people are. Up where they walk, up where they run, sing it if you know it, up where they stay all day in the sun. Bullshit that nobody knows that line for the record. Are we going to do that again together? <laughs> up where we stay all day in the sun, wandering free, wish I could be. A part of your world. <laughs> Thank you. It's really amazing that Max Dossel is doing such powerful work at the Center for Humane Technology and is also embracing his creative side with the spoken word. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. If you want to find out more about the good work they're doing, you can check out uh, at the Idea Fountain on Instagram or theideafountain.co. Thanks so much for listening and a happy new year. <laughs>